Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Well, good morning, City of Refuge. Uh, My name is Brandon Freeman, and I am the equipping pastor here at the church. We are continuing today in our sermon series we're calling Reconciled, Moving from Division to Unity. And in this month, we have been looking at these different aspects of how do we move forward in unity in the presence of corporate sin, recognizing we spent all of August looking at these different aspects of corporate sin, and now looking at this process that we have of going from lament to repentance, and now today talking about what does it look like to forgive? What does corporate repentance look like? And to to get into that, I want to start by sharing with you one of my favorite paintings. So some of you may recognize this. No, I definitely was not the one that did this. Um, This is Rembrandt's The Return of the Prodigal Son. I love this painting because it just captures that parable in one frame, which I think is something that is really extraordinarily hard to do. Um, But Rembrandt has gotten something there. And there's so many little details that I won't go into, but a couple just interesting ones. Like you can kind of see there, one of the shoes is missing from the prodigal son's foot, from the long journey he's had and just his destitution. And one of the things I find most fascinating about this is there is a, a dynamic in the three main characters, right? You have the younger son there who's being embraced by the father. And then you have the person on your right, the older brother. Now, this actually doesn't happen in the story. This scene is not in the parable at all, but he's capturing something that is in the parable, which is this tension that the older brother has with what is going on with the father and the younger brother. And you can feel that in the distance in this painting. He is not in the embrace. He is not embracing the father, and he is not embracing the younger son. And I think this painting captures something about what it looks like to forgive and what it looks like to not forgive. And I want to explore that dynamic, the dynamic of these three characters by looking at that parable as a way to talk about corporate forgiveness. So if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Luke 15 today. Now, at the beginning of Luke 15 we get the context for the parable we're going to look at. In in 15, 1 and 2, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So this is near the middle of Jesus' ministry, and this is a a familiar dynamic in Jesus' ministry, that he was hanging out with the people that the religious leaders didn't want him to hang out with. He was hanging out with the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitute, all these people that they were trying to separate themselves from. And so they are giving him grief about the fact that he's hanging out with them. And then Jesus tells them three parables. First, he tells them the parable of the lost sheep. And then he tells them the parable of the lost coin, both about the how much God values seeking after what is lost. And then he tells them the parable of the prodigal son. And the parable of the prodigal starts in verse 11, and it says this. It says, And he said, There was a man who had two sons. 
And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. So many of you are probably familiar with this parable, familiar with the younger son, right? The younger son who goes to his father and asks for his part of the inheritance. And then he goes and proceeds to make some very bad choices with regards to that inheritance and manages to squander it all. Now, it's obvious he's making some poor choices here, but what may be less obvious is the ways that he is sinning against the father and just the magnitude of the offense that is there. Tim Keller points out in his book, The Prodigal God, that the younger son, in asking his father for his inheritance early, is effectively saying to him, I wish you were dead so that I could have what I really care about, which is the stuff that you have. Right? This is deeply dishonoring to the father. There's a sin of commission, the demanding of the inheritance, and there's a sin of omission. He is not giving the honor that is due his father. And then there's a second layer to the offense, which is then he proceeds to go and squander it all. He just blows all his money. And I see something in this that is similar to what we have talked about in talking about all these different areas of corporate sin, right? In this case, it is an individual doing it, but I think that there is a similarity. In one, we talked about how all the corporate sin areas are a dishonoring of God, right? All of these things, racism and sexism and classism and generational conflict are all things that when we participate in them, Knowingly or unknowingly, they undermine people's image-bearing of God and they undermine the glory of God. And the second thing is that all of those things also waste the gift, that God has given us all of these areas where we are different in terms of our our ethnicities and and our our genders and just the ages that are represented in the church. All of these things are things that are gifts to our church that God has intended so that we can more fully demonstrate his glory to the world and that also that they would be a source of helping us grow more into Christ-likeness. And when we participate in those sins, we take that gift and we squander it. And that is deeply offensive to God. So what happens? Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. The younger son experiences the devastation of his sin. Right? He gets to the point where he is completely destitute, so destitute that he is hanging out, trying to, he's, he's hired himself out to feed pigs, and he is so hungry, he wants to partake of the slop that they are eating. And more than that, he's alone. He has no one to help him. Evidently, all of those people that he was partying with a couple verses earlier, they're gone. He's walked away from his family, so not only is he destitute, but he is also alone. He has hit the bottom here, both financially and relationally and spiritually. He is destitute. And sin always does this. Maybe not to the severity that we see in the story, but sin always causes devastation. 
And we see that with all of the corporate sins that we looked at, right? All of these things, racism and sexism and classism and, and generational conflict, these things wreck havoc in churches. They have caused problems in our church. They always divide, they destroy our unity, they cause hurt, they cause distrust, they cause grief, and at times even cause people to walk away from the faith or to question the faith because they wonder how it is that a bunch of people who claim to love Jesus can't seem to come together and be one body. That is devastation that that sin can bring. So what does the younger son do? Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The younger son realizes he has exactly one lifeline left. He has one person that he could turn to that might be able to help him. And that one person is the father he dishonored. And so he has this moment of realization, this moment of clarity. And I see in this a lot of what we've talked about in the last two weeks, this idea of, one, lamenting the sin, recognizing the ways that he had messed up and offended the father and and squandered everything, And then this moment of repentance. And Johnny talked last week about this idea of that being both this feeling of contrition, which he obviously has, but then also posing the question, what then should I do? And here it means I need to return to the father. And so we have this moment where the younger son has both lament and repentance taking place. Now, I would say up to this point in this sermon series, we've sort of been walking in the shoes of the prodigal son. And I know it has probably felt like a long time to be walking in those shoes. Believe me, it's felt that way for the preaching team too. We're sort of like, when do we get to the restoration part? But I think it was important that we dwelled there for some time to understand the ways that the sin devastates and the fact that it's sin and then this need for lament and repentance But I think now we need to turn to the father and to the character of the father. So starting in verse 20, we see how the younger son interacts with the father. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven. And before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but... The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. We have this moment of absolutely radical forgiveness of the younger son by the father of him accepting the younger son, not just back as the servant that he's trying to become, but instead accepting him back as his son. And and to talk about how radical that forgiveness is, I want to take a a brief excursus to talk about just the nature of forgiveness for just a second, okay? So we're gonna set aside the parable of the, the prodigal son for a second, and I wanna look at 
the Lord's Prayer. So in, in both Matthew 6 and in Luke 11, we have Jesus teach his disciples how to pray. And I'm sure most of you who grew up in the church could recite it, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our, well, forgive us our what? Right, if you've ever been in Christian circles and you're not quite sure what to do during this part, have you ever felt that awkwardness? It's like, okay, are we, are we forgiving like trespasses? Are we forgiving sins? Uh, are we forgiving debts, right? Like how many people grew up in churches that said trespasses? All right, any, uh, any sins, sinners out there? Any, any debtors out there? Okay, so you can kind of see a smattering of this. Now, now, where did that come from? Well, there's actually three different words, three different Greek words that gets translated into trespasses, debts, and sinners. And although I think there is, they're, they're sort of synonyms in the sense that they all kind of have a, a bearing on, on this idea of sin, there's, there's, they're actually a little distinct as well. So, in, in Matthew 6, uh, if you look at the ESV, they translate it in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven given our debtors. So this idea that sin creates some kind of debt. To give you a picture of that, imagine you and your friend get into an argument, you get really, really angry, and you take a baseball bat to the headlight of their car. I'm sure none of you would do that, but let's just imagine that for just a second. right? You have now created a debt. There is one, a debt to certainly go and ask forgiveness from that friend, but you also owe them a headlight, right? There is a debt that has been created by your sin, something that is owed because of it. Now, there's also later on in verse 13, uh, 14 and 15, after Jesus has taught them to say the Lord's Prayer, he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. There Jesus uses the word trespasses. And that carries the idea of missing the mark, the idea that there is some kind of behavior that was expected of you, and you didn't do that. The idea is sort of like you're shooting at a bullseye, and you missed. The last one shows up in the Luke passage, where Jesus says he forgives us our sins, and then it actually says, as we forgive those who are indebted to us. So he uses both the idea of sin and debt. And the sin gets at this idea of violating God's law, that there was a standard that God had set that we have violated. So all three of these are aspects of what sin does. There is a trespass, a ways that we have missed the mark. There is a way that we have violated God's law. And then because of that, there is a debt that has been created. Now, when we think about forgiveness, forgiveness hits on all three of those notes. And I think you see that here with the radical forgiveness of the father going back to the prodigal son in Luke 15. So the younger son has definitely trespassed against the father. There was a certain standard of behavior he was supposed to have about how sons are supposed to treat their fathers. He was way off that mark, right? And he knows that. That's why he says, I'm no longer longer worthy to be your son. I have not acted like a son And so I'm going to go back and we'll see if maybe I can make it as a servant. He has trespassed the father, but the father forgives that. He forgives the trespass and he welcomes his home, not as a slave, not as a servant, but he welcomes him home as a son. He has forgiven that trespass. He has sinned. 
he has broken the commandment of God, right? Honor your father and your mother is one of the big 10. Then right there in the 10 commandments, he has absolutely violated that. And by all rights, there should be punishment for that. But the father forgives the sin. He receives the son back without any kind of demand for punishment from the younger son. What about the debt? The younger son has a tremendous debt to repay. He has just taken probably almost half of the father's wealth and lost it all. He has a debt that he absolutely cannot repay. He has no way to do it. So what does the father do about that? He welcomes him back. He puts the cloak on him. He puts the ring on him. These signs of his inclusion back in the family. And at least in this parable, we see no demanding of the debt be paid. He forgives the debt. Now, I think it's important to point out, this is incredibly costly. Right? What the father is doing when he forgives the younger son is he's saying, I am willing to pay the cost of what you did wrong. He's forgiving the debt. What's even more radical, other than he's forgiven on all those three categories, when did the father forgive the younger son? When did it happen? Well, it's interesting. It says that when the younger son is coming, that the father who maybe was watching for him, but rushes out to meet him because he has compassion on him. Seeming to, and this is before the son comes and he gives his speech. Right, The father had already forgiven the son even before the son came and repented and asked for forgiveness. How much does this remind you of that verse, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? The father in this parable is demonstrating the radical forgiveness as the way God forgives us. And we believe that because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we find this kind of forgiveness because our heavenly father, just like the father's done for the younger son, our heavenly father has let go of our trespasses, the ways that there was a standard of behavior we were supposed to live and we way missed that mark. Right, We had sins. We have violated God's laws. And that has stood forgiven. We had a tremendous debt. We had a debt to God that in no way, shape, or form that we could pay. And that we were in devastation because of that. The wages of sin is death. And our Heavenly Father forgave the debt. And he was willing to accept the cost. And that is what the cross is fundamentally about. This is the core of the gospel. And I think this parable is so precious to Christians because we see ourselves as the prodigal son. Knowing that so much we need, our one lifeline is to go back to the father and there have to find the radical love and forgiveness or we're just lost. And so that is precious good news to to all of us prodigals who are coming back to the father after having been Liars and thieves and slanderers and adulterers and proud and arrogant and wasteful in all sorts of ways. Like, this is precious good news. 
But I also want to add to that list that it is precious good news to people who have been racist and people who have been sexist and people who have discriminated based on age or education or wealth that those two find forgiveness in the arms of the Father. Those things do not stand as unforgivable sins. And I think it is precious good news to churches that find that some or all of those things have crept into our life in some form or fashion. City Refuge, for the last two weeks, we have been focused on lamenting and repenting of these things in our own congregation. And I want to speak to you the words of 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which means according to the word of God, City of Refuge, we as a body are forgiven by our Heavenly Father. Amen? All right. Well, we have walked the lonely road home with the younger brother. We've stepped into the radical forgiveness of the father and seen that we find forgiveness there just as the younger son did. But the story's not over yet. We still have one more character, and so we need to step into the somewhat uncomfortable shoes of the eldest son and see the world through his eyes. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So the older son has been working diligently in the field, right? He is attending to the father's property. He's attending to the father's business. And he comes back and he finds there's a party going on. Finds out that his brother's back and that everyone is inside celebrating. And he refuses to enter. Now, before you judge the older brother too harshly, I want you to think back to a time in your life where someone had offended you and then you found out that something really good was happening to them. Do you remember that feeling? Just how irksome that is? That's what the older brother's experiencing here. And in response to that, he refuses to enter. And then you see the father come out and seek to reconcile with him and to reconcile him to his brother. And what comes out of the older brother here is pretty ugly. Right? He basically says, I've been doing good. I've been doing all the right things. You haven't given me anything. Where's my party? I think we find here in the older brother 
what are sometimes the barriers to us forgiving, right? Because the older brother has legitimately been offended as the father has. Maybe not to the same degree, but he has been there. He was part of the family when the younger brother left. That wealth is gone now. He saw what the younger brother did to the father, right? There has been offense there, but it is not as much as the father. The father has certainly been more offended, and yet it is the older brother who refuses to forgive like the father forgives. Why? I think there's three things you could point to. One, he has lost sight of what the father has given him. The father tells him, you have been with me. This is the biggest thing, is to be with the father. And second, all that he has is his. He is still going to inherit it all. There is so much promise here of the future, and he has lost sight of it. He has lost sight of how good the father has been to him. Second, he's allowed resentment to set in at seeing his brother blessed despite his sin. And we just, we touched on that a couple minutes ago. Many of y'all may have been at that place at some point where it is sometimes very hard when someone who has offended us, something good is happening to them to not respond in bitterness and resentment in those moments. And last, he seems to believe that he is somehow entitled to more. Because he's been the good son, because he's been the one to follow the commandments, because he's been the one working out in the field, that somehow that entitles him to something more. Again, I think that's tied to losing sight of how great what he already has is. The story leaves off here. Jesus leaves it hanging in terms of not telling us how this ends. We don't know whether the older son eventually forgave or not. Did he heed the father or not? I think that's intentional. Because in some ways, the point of this story is going back to what he talked about when he was talking to the Pharisees, these Pharisees who didn't like the fact that he was hanging out with the sinners and the prostitutes and all of these other people that they didn't like. He's posing the question to them because they are the older brother. And I think it poses that same question to us. Right? We want to be the prodigal son and, and to have come back to the father. We love that. But this poses the question to us of are we the older brother? Are we willing to step into the radical forgiveness like the father? And I think this is where the rubber meets the road with regards to forgiveness. Like in particular with some of the things we've been looking at. When faced with these sins we've been looking at of, of racism and sexism and class differences and generational conflict, like these are things that sometimes are deeply, deeply hurtful, have caused deep devastation. When faced with those things, do we forgive radically like the father or are we the older son? And I can... I can understand people saying, Brandon, you don't understand. You don't understand the depth of the hurt. You don't understand the amount of the devastation. And to an extent, you're right. 
there's a certain extent to which I have no right to be up here talking about forgiveness with regards to these issues. I talked about this in my first sermon, right, that from the cultural perspective, I'm in all the bad categories, right? I'm a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant male, um, and, and, and I can look at all of this and say, when it comes to talking about racism and sexism and classism and all this stuff, like, I have no right to stand here and say, you need to forgive these things. In and of myself, I do not have that right. But this is not coming from me, and I hope you don't hear it from me. What this is about is that I know that we have a father who has forgiven us so much. We have a father who has overlooked our trespasses. We have a father who has overlooked our sins, that we have a father who has looked over and paid our debts. And because of that, that is why we walk in forgiveness because we have been forgiven so much. And I think in the midst of sometimes the difficulty in forgiving these things, we fall into the same traps that the older brother falls into where we sort of focus on the fact that we're in the right and we focus on the, the, we lose sight of how much the father has given us and we lose sight of how much the father has forgiven us. And because of that, there are these barriers to us really being able to walk in forgiveness of each other in the midst of these sins. And I say that fully recognizing that in doing so, I'm asking for people who have been badly hurt to in some ways bear the cost of those that hurt them. Because that's ultimately what forgiveness is. It's letting go of the debt. So two questions that I think we need to address, though, around that. One, what if we haven't seen lament and repentance? What do we do in cases where these corporate sins are present, either within the church or outside the church, and we don't see people feeling sorry for it? We don't see people looking to do anything different. What about then? Are we still supposed to forgive? Well, what is the example of the father? When did the father forgive the younger son? It was before he came back. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The example in the scriptures of what forgiveness is supposed to look like for us, if we are to follow suit of the way the father forgives, is that it's not dependent on others repenting. It's not dependent on others lamenting. We are called to forgive anyways. Now, I will say that it is a whole lot easier to forgive when that is taking place, right? And so for that reason, if you have wronged somebody, do very actively go and seek to to mend that relationship, to lament, to walk in repentance. That is important to do. But as Christians, we're called to forgive regardless. So that's the first question. The second is, I'm, I'm guessing some of you have in your mind, but what about justice? What about change? What about us actually working to fix some of these things? Because in a lot of the areas we've been talking about, these areas of corporate sins, there is great work to be done in addressing these issues. And I could see someone saying, well, if you forgive it, then does that mean you're not addressing it? And I don't think that that is the case. 
I don't think that forgiveness means that we don't work to root out racism and sexism and classism and, and generational issues in our congregation, that we don't seek to mend those places. In fact, I would argue that forgiveness enhances our ability to fix those things and to mend those things and to work towards things being more like God intends. And here's why. Because if we have not forgiven, then the inclination is gonna be for us to try and fix those things out of a spirit of vindictiveness. That we are going to be trying to, we feel like they owe us something, there is a debt to be paid, and we're going to extract it one way or another. But if instead we are approaching it from a place of forgiveness, from a longing to see the things done in the way that God intends, but there's not that vindictiveness, how much more does that give us the ability to do things in a way that are right and just and ultimately bring glory to the Father? But I do want to say clearly that I don't believe that walking in forgiveness means that we don't try and address these issues. So early on when John was talking about the sin of racism, you remember he had the wall up here. Um, I have to say when he was doing that, I was kind of hoping at some point he would like, like hit the wall and it would sort of explode out or something like that because by the end of that sermon, I was ready for that wall to be down. I was thinking about that wall with regards to this idea of forgiveness. Right? He talked about in his sermon this idea with racism that we need to collectively tear down the wall of hostility that exists. But I think that if we do that, but we don't forgive, then what we have effectively done is we've dismantled one wall only to build another. Because there can be a wall of hostility that divides us, but there can also be a wall of unforgiveness that divides us. And so I want to invite our congregation to approach these areas of sin that we've talked about, like the Father in this parable, with a willingness to exhibit that level of radical forgiveness. And if you have been hurt by these sins, either within our church or elsewhere, I want to invite you today to step into forgiveness of those things, of forgiving the debt, of letting go the trespass, knowing that God can forgive that sin. And I also know for some of you, as you've been listening to this, you may not have been thinking about it as much in terms of the corporate sin, but I'm guessing there are people in your life that you recognize, hey, there has been an offense here and I have not yet forgiven. I'm still holding that debt against that person. And if that's the case, then I want to invite you in a couple minutes to take that to the Father and to forgive them. Um, I think there is great freedom in forgiveness. I think it is one, something that is intrinsic to the, to the very gospel itself, 
And I think this is a way where we as a Christian have an opportunity to exhibit something that isn't in the world. Because there, particularly around the issues we've been talking about, how much of the dialogue around racism or sexism or classism is about forgiveness. This is a place where we have, as a church, have the opportunity to truly demonstrate the love of the Father in a way that is radical and will point to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is so hard. Lord, despite how much we have been forgiven, Lord, we still find it hard to forgive others. Which I believe is why you instructed your disciples that that they needed to forgive. Lord, the sins that we have been studying in this series have caused so much hurt and so much devastation, God. We need your help to forgive. So Lord, I pray in this moment that you would bring to mind those moments where we have been hurt, where we've been offended, either by these corporate sins or even by just individuals in our lives. We bring those people, we bring those situations to you. We ask that you would help us to forgive just as radically as the father forgave the younger son. Lord, we love you and give you all the praise and the glory. In your name, amen.